This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of Love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the One who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents the Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, as we come to the end of the liturgical year, the Church regales us with stories of the end of the world. Let me give you some examples now. Our first reading from today is from the book of the prophet Malachi. Lo, the day is coming, blazing like an oven, when all the proud and all evildoers will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, leaving them neither root nor branch, says the Lord of hosts. And how about this from the gospel for today? While some people were speaking about how the temple was adorned with costly stones and votive offerings, Jesus said, All that you see here, the days will come when there will not be left one stone upon another. All will be thrown down. Harsh readings, difficult, challenging, a little bit frightening even. The church has long been fascinated by this question of the end times, the end of the world. What does it mean? When will it come? What are the signs that it is imminent? You know, I've spoken before to you about this, but in recent years, there's been a rebirth of interest in this question. Go back to the 1970s, Hal Lindsey's books, remember on the late great planet Earth, that sparked a whole revival in apocalyptic thinking, thinking about the end of the world. And then in very recent years, we've seen the publication enormously successful of these left-behind books, though they've sold in tens of millions of copies. Their accounts, based upon the biblical record, of the end of the world, what will announce it, what are its signs. Some of the texts that apocalyptic people look to are just the ones that I've read. From the prophets, especially Daniel and prophets like Malachi. They'll look especially to the book of Revelation in the New Testament and to the passage from which I read in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus telling his disciples what will happen at the end of the world. Now, here's our question. What do we make of all this? How do we understand it? What's the church's take on this literature? The first Christians, I think, were very interested in the end of the world, precisely because they experienced it. Let me say that again. The first Christians were interested in the end of the world because they had experienced it. Now, what am I talking about? Look, when Jesus came into this world of sin, of death, of division, of anger, this, the world that we know, when Jesus came into it, what happened? A new world was born. Now, the acts of nonviolence, of forgiveness and compassion are made visible. God's forgiveness of our sins becomes a fact. Sickness and disease 
that seemed to reign over us, now they're turned back. Do you remember when the disciples of John the Baptist come and they say, are you the one or are we to expect another? Jesus says, tell John what you've seen and heard. The deaf hear, the blind see, the lame walk. It's as though the reign of disease and sickness, even that has been challenged. Most dramatically, even the dead are raised to life. When Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. What the first Christian saw was breaking in through Jesus of Nazareth was a whole new world. The old world, as I've often said, was not thrilled at the breakthrough of the new. The old world, predicated upon sin and death, conspired to do him in. At the end of the day, everybody fled. At the end of the day, all the powers and principalities of the world, mind you please, of the old world, focused in on Jesus and killed him. It must have struck his disciples as having been a pleasant dream. This new world that Jesus introduced, well, I guess it was just a happy dream. The old world did him in. But then, Christians, what did they see? They saw the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And that signaled to them a new world. The world that Jesus inaugurated, that was turning back the power of sickness and turning back the power of disease, turning back the power of sin, is now revealed to be the world that God approves. The world that God sanctions. The world that God is bringing into existence. They saw in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, listen now, the end of the old world and the beginning of a new one. I think you can sense this in all the texts of the New Testament, in all the letters of Paul, all the letters of Peter, in all the Gospels, in the book of Revelation. What you sense is an awe-filled response to this new world that had appeared in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Somehow they knew that the old world, though it persists, has been broken. It's been defeated. And now what are they doing? They're waiting for the definitive arrival of the new world that Jesus has inaugurated. You know, an image I like to use here, I think I've used it before, maybe even in these talks, the image of the earthquake. Back in 1989, right around this time, it was during the World Series, there was a terrible earthquake in San Francisco. Many of the buildings on the outside looked fine afterwards and people moved back into them but then the experts came and they said wait wait that earthquake has in fact undermined the foundations of these buildings and now they are dangerous though they appear to be fine you shouldn't go back into them that I think is a great image for what the first Christians felt does the old world, the world predicated upon sin and domination and violence and death, still persist? Well, yes, it does. It still persists. But in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, an earthquake has occurred. 
an earthquake that has shaken and undermined the foundations of that world, the foundations of all of its institutions and all of its assumptions. And so now, what are Christians doing? Christians are saying to their brothers and sisters, get out of those buildings. Get out of that world and begin living in the new world. Friends, we live, and the Gospels are very clear about this, I think. We live in the in-between times. The time between the earthquake and the definitive arrival of the new world. What these texts are about, these apocalyptic texts, I think, are descriptions of what life is like in this in-between time. Let's look now at some of the things Jesus tells us about this in-between period as we wait for the end of the world. First of all, many will come in my name saying, I am he, and the time has come. Do not follow them. Christians, one of the marks of the in-between times is there will be a plethora of false messiahs. Christians believe that Jesus, in his preaching, in his healing, in his dying and rising, is the one who inaugurates the new world. Listen now, every other figure, whether he is a politician, whether he is an economist, whether he's a social theorist, whether he's a guru, any other figure that says, I'm the one, Follow me, I will bring you into a new world, is a liar, and in fact is still caught in the talons of the old world. Just think of the century, the terrible century we just survived, the 20th century. How many false messiahs there were. If we just make this social change, if we just kill these few millions of people, if we just make this political reform, we will inaugurate the new world. Don't Listen to them. That's what the Lord is saying. In the in-between times, false messiahs will arise. Follow the true Messiah, the only one who inaugurates the new world. Secondly, he says, you will hear of wars and insurrections. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Well, especially in the wake of September the 11th, the terrible events of that day, the truth of this prediction is pretty clear. Look back over the past 2,000 years. What have you seen? This constant struggle among the nations, among the kingdoms. Insurrections, violence, revolution, one against the other. What is this, Christians, but the result of sin? What happens when sin has gripped a nation or a kingdom this is precisely how it acts and reacts with violence, with imperialism. The new world has been announced. In the wake of that announcement, the violence of the old world in some ways intensifies. Just as an animal, when it's wounded and threatened, will fight more fiercely. So the old world, threatened by the dying and rising of Jesus now intensifies in its violence. We shouldn't expect paradise. Rather, we should expect almost the opposite, that the ferocity of the sinful world will intensify. Should we be frightened of it? Not really frightened, because now we cling to Christ, who inaugurates the new world, but we should expect 
the opposition of the old. And then finally, and relatedly, listen to this. The Lord says, They will seize you and persecute you, and they will hand you over to the synagogues and to prisons, and they will lead you before kings and governors. Persecution belongs to this in-between times. You know, it's a hard truth, but an unavoidable one. The church, from the cross on, has been persecuted. In the earliest centuries, up through the patristic period, into the Middle Ages, into modern times, the church, especially when it shows itself clearly, has been persecuted. You know that old principle of if someone brings you bad news and people say, kill the messenger. In some ways, that's why the church will always be persecuted. We are the ones who bear the message of a new world. Friends, the old world never likes that message. It threatens it. And therefore, the instinct, kill the messenger, kicks in. The church will be persecuted as long as it speaks the words, the liberating words of Jesus Christ. I might have made mention to you before about a wonderful book by Robert Royal, and it's on the martyrs of the 20th century. Of all the Christian centuries, the 20th was the one that had the most martyrs. It's extraordinary, isn't it? We think, well, that happened a long time ago in the ancient world that were martyrs. No, the greatest number of martyrs in Christian history were in the 20th century in recent years. Don't be cowed by the fact that in these in-between times, we will always be persecuted. So, what should we do? How should we live during this period? Listen to the Lord. I myself will give you a wisdom in speaking that all your adversaries will be powerless to resist or refute. We have a simple job, Christians, during the in-between times. We announce the gospel. We proclaim it. We preach it. We teach it. We say it with courage. Why? Because we're speaking with the authority of the Lord. And finally, the power of the old world cannot overcome us. So have courage, despite war, despite persecution. Announce the gospel at every opportunity. God bless. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that, together, we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. To purchase copies of The Word on Fire, call 847-297-4360. That's 847-297-4360.